Welcome to the New Grace Sermon Podcast. Our church exists so people experience new life in Christ. We invite you to connect with us on social media at newgrace.cc, on Facebook and Instagram. For more information about our church or to support us financially, visit newgrace.cc. Take your Bible if you got it. Go to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. And I want to just... um, I want to move through something that I feel like the Lord's put in our heart. I've, I've been planning this for several weeks, and uh, <clears throat> I want to preach to the church. I want to preach to believers today, and um, I feel like the Lord next weekend is going to let us really get on a personal level and encourage each of us individually. And so here's what I want to do. I want to talk to the church collectively, and and the byproduct of that conversation is going to be how it lands on us as believers individually. And I, I want you, for the next few moments, I want you to open up your mind to what the Spirit of God's going to say through His Word, and I want you to let some of this stuff stretch your ideas, to stretch your perspective, and to leave you challenged. Okay, Acts chapter 1. Look at verse number 4. Jesus is resurrected. He's about to leave out of here. And this is the conversation in verse number 4. It says, being assembled together with him, or with them, he commanded them, that is his disciples and apostles, that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, Ye have heard of me. Look what Jesus says in verse number five. For John, that's John the Baptist. John truly baptized with water. But ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days from now. When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, will thou at this time Restore again the kingdom to Israel. You got to remember the Jewish audience that was gathered there in front of Jesus. They they knew full well the Old Testament prophecies that this Christ, the Messiah, would literally have an earthly kingdom, an earthly kingdom that would actually span one thousand years. And so that was their question: Are you about to do that right now? That's what that was their question. That 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 kingdom. Are you doing that right now? Look what he says to them. Verse seven. It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power. We're asking the same question 2,000 years later. When is Jesus going to set up his kingdom? When is all the end time events going to happen exactly like Revelation says they're going to happen and Jesus returns to earth and has a 1,000 year reign? Sometimes we, we, we over, overly celestialize the way end time prophecy happens. Some of y'all have this idea of heaven just because of the, the horrible Americanized perspective that we've all been given, that we're just boring little balls of light with a halo or a weak pair of wings just floating around in the clouds like, well, I guess this is it. Man, that is so much. Do you realize that after Jesus comes back, we're here? Did you know that? You're actually here. There's, there's going to still be roads. There's going to still be trees. There may even still be some buildings. Like this building might still be here. 
I don't know how things are going to happen in Revelation as far as some of the, the, the climatic aspects of the apocalypse. You know, a lot of that may just be centered around Israel. But, but if it happens to, this, to the states, does it, does it happen here? Is this building still here? I don't know. But we come back in a glorified body. Oh, my gosh. See, we, see, we don't, a thousand years. That's the, a thousand years is the launching pad for what's about to happen in eternity. A lot of us don't know those things. We haven't been taught those things. That's actually what happens. And we don't have a president. We don't have a prime minister. We don't have a sheik or an overlord. We have the Messiah, the King, Jesus. And he rules the earth. And believers resurrect and redeemed in his, in his glory rule with him. It's pretty cool, ain't it? That's what they're asking about. That's what they're asking about. Because he's resurrected. He's conquered death, hell, and the grave. He has taken the keys from Satan. And he has now declared victory for all who believe in him. And they're like, hey, is this, is it time? Are we going to do the thing? He's like, not for you to know that. So look at what he says. Look at what he says to him instead. But you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. I want to preach quickly on this thought. Let's finish the job. Let's finish the job. It's clear from the Gospels in the book of Acts that Jesus started the job. He came as God manifested as man to redeem lost, unbelieving Israel and all Gentiles and non-Jews into a covenant with God through his death, burial, and resurrection. He became the only blood sacrifice that would ever be needed. He became the way, the truth, and the life to the Father. He became the payment, watch this, the ransom that was paid and the substitute that stood in our place on the cross. And every single believer in this room who has put their faith in Christ, do you know your sin has already been judged? Mm-hmm. Your sin has already been judged. It was judged on the cross when Jesus became sin for us. Boy, I'm telling you, that'll make you want to have a happy bubble right there, won't it? Knowing that God's already settled up with your sin, and he did it through his son, Jesus Christ. Somebody ought to give him praise right there if you believe that this morning. And so he could have just been like, all right, peace, I'm out, let's do this. Boom, kingdom. No, he doesn't. And here we are two millennia later, and the ball is still in our court. The baton is still in our hand. The job is still ours to finish. That is why Jesus launched a church, people, to reach a world full of people. Jesus doesn't use a marketing campaign. He doesn't rely on any kind of advertising. In fact, the best billboard is the walking testimony of your life. The best method, best tool, best instrument for evangelism, even in 2024, is word of mouth. I've launched two churches. I've helped a lot of people launch other ones. And every time we've launched a church, we've been super serious and super strategic. We were with this one. 
We had social media. We had a billboard. We had ground signs everywhere covering banks crossing. I mean, we saturated the area. Church at the movies, church at the movies, church at the movies. People are like, what the heck is this church at the movies thing? And we know it was really false advertising. We tricked a lot of people. The way we, the way we marketed the church, you would have thought it was some real casual, contemporary, you know, I was going to be like a, a coffee sipping, like hipster dude sitting on a stool and be like, hey, let's talk about God today. Come on. All right. Yeah. And, and, and y'all, y'all showed up, and y'all were like, what in the world? These people are intense. This dude is aggressive. They take this Jesus thing really serious. I mean, I'm talking a, 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 a here we go, a Bible-thumping, sin-hating, devil-chasing, cross-declaring, God-glorifying church. And you're like, man, what kind of denomination are you? I'm like, I don't know. It's non-denominational. This is a mixed breed, a hybrid holiness church. I don't know what to tell you. Like, it's just, we're a Bible church. And people came into the movie theaters, and listen to this. Everybody that showed up from launch day, therefore, the next few months, we had like 14, 15 people we launched the church with. We had 140 that showed up. Not one person that came to the launch service told me they were there because they saw a yard sign or a billboard or a pamphlet. Not one of them came because they saw a boosted ad on Facebook or they saw our website. Everybody that walked in the door came because of word of mouth. Every person came as a result of an invitation from another person. Do you know that 2,000 years ago when Jesus launched the church, when Jesus wanted to cover a community with the good news of who he was, he relied on people reaching people. And in 2,000 years, ladies and gentlemen, he has not changed his game plan. He still uses people to reach people. God relies heavily on word of mouth. And right before Jesus leaves, he looks at the disciples and he says, look, I've started the job. I need you to finish it. And the key to finishing the job, are you ready? Is all in verse eight. The whole thing is in verse eight. Look at it with me quickly. He says, you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. If you're taking notes with me, I want you to write this down. Finishing the job involves an empowering touch, all right? Finishing the job that Jesus started involves an empowering touch. He says, you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Real quick theology lesson. Let me untangle some of the doctrine that has been Americanized in your mind or the rest of the buckle of the Bible belt, old school traditionalism, living under the lid of limitation theologically. Let me help you with something. Jesus is talking to save people when he says you need power. Watch this. He's talking to save people when he says you need the Holy Ghost to come upon you. I thought I received the Holy Spirit when I got saved. You did. You did. You became a recipient. He came to indwell in you. But there is a difference between you having the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit having you. We would call that surrender. But the Bible frames it up as the baptism of the Spirit or being filled with the Spirit, being yielded to the fullness of who the Spirit is. And so here's what Jesus says. Hey, you guys received the Spirit in John chapter 20 in the upper room. I breathed on you right after my resurrection and said, receive you the Holy Spirit. And they did. But then he tells them prior to his ascension, about 10 days prior, he says, go wait in Jerusalem. Don't leave Jerusalem. Get in that upper room and just pray and wait for the promise of the Father. Because I have an empowering touch 
watch this. I have a touch that's going to enable you to do the job that I have left in your hands to do. I want to say something very quickly, and I'm going to move along. You cannot be a Christian without the Holy Spirit. I can't go to heaven without the Holy Spirit? Listen to me. Listen to me. I didn't say you couldn't go to heaven. I said you can't be a Christian. Listen to me. Listen to me. It takes the, it takes the Holy Spirit for a person to be saved. But I, what I want to clarify is you can't be Christ-like. That's what Christian means. You can't be Christ-like without the Holy Spirit. You don't have the power. You don't have the strength. You don't have the fortitude. You don't have the will. You don't have the morals to be Christ-like without the Holy Spirit. Let me say it like this. You can't overcome sin without the Holy Spirit. You can't live a righteous life without the Holy Spirit. Holiness is so far out of reach without the Holy Spirit. You'll never have peace. You'll never have hope. You'll never have joy. Sure, you might find happiness, but you ain't ever going to have joy. Happiness is based on what happens. But joy, joy gets planted deep inside of your soul and your heart. And that is only possible when the Spirit of God puts that inside of you. You can't be who you're supposed to be in Christ without the help of the Holy Spirit. You need power. Look at these microphones behind me. Not the wireless ones, the wired ones. Look at these drums. That keyboard. This microphone right here. The one that Matthew was speaking into. This microphone has the appearance of power, but it has none if it's not plugged in. It looks the part. It feels the part. Woo! Smells the part. It doesn't play the part unless it's plugged. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? If it ain't plugged into the juice, if it ain't plugged into the power, it don't matter if they turn it on back there. It don't matter if somebody sings in it, somebody screams in it. It doesn't matter what you do to it. If it ain't plugged in, watch this. If it doesn't have power, it ain't going to have life, and it ain't going to have purpose. I'll say that again. It ain't going to have life, and it ain't going to have purpose. I came to remind some of you this morning that you'll never have life apart from the Spirit of God in you, and you'll never have purpose except the Holy Spirit jump all over over you from the top of your head to the bottom of your feet and plug you in to a power from another world. My God, getting, getting plugged into the power of who God's spirit is, is like putting a turbocharger on a pinto. It might not look the part, honey, but it's going to burn more than rubber. It's going to get down the track and it's going to bless God, get it done. I need a witness in this room. Watch this. He says, you shall receive power after the Holy... I wish I could work that like I wanted to. I ain't got time. After the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Then he says, you'll be witnesses. He says, you, you, you have to have this empowering touch to finish the job. Secondly, there has to be an expressive testimony. You're supposed to be a witness. A witness does two things. A witness, first of all, shows itself through testimony. A witness identifies with what it says it is. In other words, you can look at it and you know where it came from. You know, when Jesus talks about John 17 and he says that we are in the world, but we're not of the world, it's the best way spiritually without scientifically expressing you are now an otherworldly being. Yeah, E.T. ain't got nothing on y'all. 
You are otherworldly. Peter said it like this. We are a royal priesthood. We are, we are strangers and pilgrims. We, 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 look, 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 look. Now that we've been born from above, now that we've been born of the Spirit, we are no longer of this world. Here we go. We are alien to, oh, I said it. We are alien to the things of this world. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we're alien, bless God. We, are, we, we, we don't belong here anymore. We are now part of a kingdom of another world. Yes, it's been veiled from our physical eyesight, but the reality is on the other side of that veil, interdimensionally, there's a world that you and I are now a part of. There are devils and there are demons and there are cherubim and there are seraphim and there are angels and there are powers and principalities, the sons of God. And now you and I, we are, we're not created sons of God, but we're converted sons of God. We weren't born naturally saved, but we are born the second time to be saved. And we are translated into the kingdom of his dear son. Watch this, watch this, watch this. And Jesus says, people need to be able to know where you're from and who you represent when they look at your life. A witness of me, he says. But here's the thing about a witness. A witness doesn't just show it in testimony. A witness also has to say it in testimony. Think courtroom. Think courtroom. A silent witness is a very ineffective witness. A witness with a mute message doesn't make much of an impact by way of testimony. And I, I know what you're thinking. Well, they'll know I'm a Christian by the way I live. Not necessarily. Not necessarily, because I, I, can I, can I tell you something? I know, I know some Buddhists who are pretty darn good folks. Namaste, Zen all the way. I'm talking like they, 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 they live their life in such a way, their moral compass could make you think it's got some Christian roots to it. And they don't believe Jesus is real. They don't believe he's the son of God. They don't believe he's God. They don't believe historically accurate. But they will tell you all day, bless God, they'll, they'll swerve on the, on, the, on the highway to miss bugs on their windshield, like, that, like all the way. And, and here's the thing. You living a life one way draws curiosity. But what comes out of your mouth is supposed to be convincing. And Jesus says, I want you to be a witness. And when he says, I want you to be a witness, it means you got to say it. I'm going to tell you something. I never had the guts to tell anybody my testimony, invite them to church, or ask them if they were saved, or have a God-centered conversation until I had the Holy Spirit empower me to be a witness. Here's the deal. Jesus, thank you, Lord. Let me, let me go back to this. I said it at nine. I almost forgot to say it here. Did you notice that Jesus made them believers at the beginning of his earthly ministry, he made them believers. And then he told them that he was going to turn them into disciples. And then after he was leaving, he said, now you're going to be witnesses. You know what that means? There's a difference between a believer, a disciple, and a witness. He said, you're a believer. Now I'm going to spend three years turning you into one of my disciples. And then right before he was leaving, watch this. Right before he was leaving, he said, I have to leave. Because the part of you becoming a witness is not my job, it's the Spirit's job. And so now I'm going to allow the Holy Spirit empower you to be my testimony. 
You're supposed to show it. You're supposed to say it. Let me say this. A lot of you have now gotten comfortable showing it. And you got people's attention. Because they notice that there's something different about the way you act, the way you talk, the way you respond to stuff. They can't quite loop you in and pull you in sometimes on the gossip train. And sometimes the way you, you maneuver and navigate some of that stuff that gets real carnal and real corrupt and you seem to bow out of the comp, they're, they're like, what's wrong with him? What's wrong? Why, why, can't, why is she different? They're curious. And guess what the Holy Spirit wants to do? Empower you to use the tool of that tongue to start sharing your God story. What Jesus intended for every person to be was a missionary. If you're not a missionary, you're an imposter. And he says, he says, I want you to be a witness of me. And here's what I want to show you. Watch this. He says, you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses, you shall be witnesses unto me. Watch this. In Jerusalem, in all of the region of Judea, then we'll go north in Samaria. And then we'll go as far as the horizon can stretch to the uttermost part of the earth. To finish the job, it takes an empowering touch. It takes an expressive testimony, but write this down. Number three, it takes an expanding territory. An expanding territory. When Jesus left in Matthew 28, the Great Commission prior to his ascension, he told them, go into all the world. Southern Christianity, and this is something we've been debunking. We've been debunking this for the last decade. Southern Christianity has this come to church mentality. And that's not biblical. Go to church. What? Now, if you view church as a piece of property, then you would say, go to church. But if you believe the church is people, not property, how do you go to yourself? <laughs> go to, I'm going to go to myself today. I'm going to go to us. What? What do you what do you what do you say? I'm going to myself. No, stop. You are the church, right? We've we've taught this over and over and over. We are the church, right? You're the temple, right? Where you go. So you can take new grace to wherever you work. Right? You take new grace to wherever you go to school. Right? You can take new grace wherever, meaning you can take Jesus wherever. Right? So so the idea of we Go to church is not actually biblical. What Jesus said was, go to the world. Go to the world. Go speak of me. Go show them me. Go introduce them to me. And once you do, then bring them into the church, the people, the body. Bring them into it. Repeat the process. And all of this, watch this, all of this came down to expanding territory. Jesus was telling them, that when you expand territory, the first thing you gotta do is you gotta cover it. You gotta cover territory. And we've been very aggressive and strategic and intentional as a church about covering territory because we want to see this thing continue to grow, expand, and stretch. I believe so much in what God has done through our church and in your life and in my life and in the room that, that I'm standing in right now and the people's lives that I want to see it continue. And I want to see it continue to cover a new area. And, and, and so when you think in terms of we got to expand territory as a church, that's what Jesus started. That's what he wants finished. It happens with covering territory. But secondly, and this is something that a lot of people don't see when they 
when they hear this right here. A lot of us, we blank out when we start getting into the geography. Like how many of y'all were like studying your maps in the back of your Bible this week? Right? And so you're kind of, I got your attention when I say, you shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you and you shall be witnesses. And you're like, oh, that's interesting. But the moment I go, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, uttermost parts of the earth, you're like, eh. That's not interesting. If you'll notice, Jesus did not put a period after the word me. You should be witnesses unto me, period. There's a reason he said you're supposed to be witnesses unto me, starting in Jerusalem, which is where you're going to be when the Holy Ghost falls on you, which is where the upper room is. Then you're going to do it in that whole region around Jerusalem, which is Judea. Then it's going to start overflowing so much you're going to move north and you're going to go into Samaria. Don't worry, I've already got things started in Samaria. Because in John 4, I went to a well, Jacob's well, and there was a woman of Samaria that came. And she was thirsty, and she had five husbands, and the guy she was hooking up with wasn't even her husband. And she was thirsty, but she didn't know what she was thirsty for, so I gave her living water that would never, ever leave. Living water that would always quench eternally the longing in her soul. And I sent her back into the city of Samaria. And what y'all don't remember and what you might not know is I planted a seed there. Oh, God, I could really work that. So everything you see in an Acts chapter 8 is the fruit of a seed. I plant. Oh, come on, Jesus, help me now. Woo! Woo, I lost some of y'all. You're like, wait, you lost me with a woman and a, and a well. I'm sorry. It's okay. Listen to me. Watch this. Then it's going to go beyond Samaria. It's going to go to the uttermost parts of the earth. This wasn't just about covering territory. Listen, it was about claiming territory. Because from the very beginning of your Bible, there was a cosmic turf war that started between God's creation and the powers of evil in the unseen realm. In fact, the territory became an issue the moment Adam and Eve took of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And they lost their territory. And ever since then, there has been a cosmic turf war. I don't have time to work this. In fact, if you really want to go deep dive with me, sign up for my grow class. Because in, in grow phase two, discovery, I'm going to teach you the turf war that happens in your Bible called cosmic geography. And there's more to the maps than you think there is. And every time, every time you see something like Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost, it's going out, it's going out, it's going further, it's going further. And all of it is a matter of claiming territory. What was Jesus empowering the church to do? I want you to take back territory from the prince and the powers of darkness because wherever my name has been missing, it is your job to take the banner and the flag of my name, stick it in the ground and say on the very soil in which we stand. This is holy ground. We're taking dirt back. 
We're taking turf back. We're taking territory back. That's why I see what we do very, very seriously. This ain't just about covering territory. Honey, this is about claiming territory because everywhere we get a chance to go, the world around us needs to know that Jesus Christ, he is king, he is Lord, he is Savior, he is God, and we get the opportunity to finish the job that he started. My preacher used to sing a song, I will march into the enemy's camp and take back what he stole from me. Are we going to do that one, JJ? We need to do that one as an intro song. That little bluesy, like little hippity-hoppity, southern gospel. Like, yeah, we, we need to do that one. We need to do that one. Like, that, that's, listen, that's what's happening. Oh, man. Did you know when... God confounded the people's language in Genesis 11. All the nations represented at the Tower of Babel was people that constructed a ziggurat and their objective was to bring gods down out of heaven and have them live in the little house they built so that they would be famous in all the world. Our name will be great, they said. And God said, you cannot do this thing. He confounded the language and he dispersed. And in Deuteronomy chapter 32, the Bible says that he assigned all the nations of the world to the sons of God, other reigning powers. He assigned them to the sons of God. And he said, you know what? Y'all do it your way. I'll show you how I do it God's way. And he took Abraham out of a pagan country and through Abraham created his own seed, his own likeness, and his own portion so that Abraham would later have a territory called Israel. Oh my. And Israel would be the very representative of God who would take territory back away from the powers and the princes of darkness. And did you know, this is just for, I'm only about four people in right here. I'm only talking about four people at this point. Did you know when God confounded the nations at Babel and dispersed them and handed them over to the sons of God, did you know that every one of those nations represented was also later represented at Pentecost when they were filled with the Holy Spirit? And Peter got up and he began to preach in Koine Greek, the gospel, and it lists out all the nations. Did you know? Oh, I'm going somewhere. Every nation listed at Pentecost, except one, every nation, every person links back to the same table of nations that he dispersed at the Tower of Babel. Pentecost was Babel being reversed. Everything that had been sent out God was about to bring it back in. He was about to use a church to bring all those nations. There's only one nation not listed, and that's Tarshish, which is Spain. And that's the whole reason through the book of Acts, Paul is constantly like, I gotta get to Spain. I'm supposed to go to Spain. The Spirit wants me in Spain. Why? Because God was reclaiming all the territory that was lost. You're not hearing me. God was taking all the ground from the devil that the devil had claimed over the years. Do you know why this church was planted to begin with? Because we are supposed to be the vehicle and the vessels in which God takes back territory from the enemy. Now, we can't do it in our own strength. It don't matter what kind of 
It don't matter what kind of ad we boost. It don't kind of matter how many hits we got on the website. It don't matter how many videos we post. It don't matter how many banners we make or signs we hand out. But buddy, if the people in this room start getting filled with the Spirit and they become a bold witness for God, I am telling you, we'll start taking territory away. That's why, man, it matters what we do where we are. Mm, 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 mm. Amen, Pastor Derek. Teach it, Reverend. You're a missionary in your own neighborhood. David Guzik said, if you're not concerned whether or not your neighbors are going to heaven, I'm concerned whether or not you are. It's convicting, isn't it? And it makes sense. This thing I'm talking about, reclaiming territory, not just covering it, but claiming it back. Like, it makes so much sense now over the last 10 years since this church started because we have had so much resistance as a church. And all, watch this, watch this. All of our resistance was always territorial. It was always territorial. Can't stay here. Can't stay here. Can't stay there. Can't stay there. Got to go there. Got to go here. Right? I'm like, golly, I feel like a bunch of vagabonds. Gospel gypsies. Right? Just travelers. Man. Why can't this be easy? Why is it so hard to get things to fall in place? Why is it so hard to do this? Like I know a lot of I know a lot of churches that were already in existence before ours got started up, and I got buddies who pastor at churches that have already been in existence. Guys who just took churches, and I'll walk, I'll walk, I'll preach for them or go to their property, and it's just like this building just sitting there. And they got a parking lot, and it's striped, <laughs> and they own it. Or here we go, it's paid off. Like it's been there for 30 years and they just they just occupy it and they're doing church there. And I'm like, Lord, why, why? Why is it so hard? And and it's like the Spirit of God has just revealed to me, like you're trying to do a territorial thing in the last days. And if the if the powers of darkness have ever ramped up their aggression towards my church, it's right now. And, he, and it's, it's almost like the church in the book of Acts had a hard time establishing itself in territory. And do you, do you know what God used to push the church into new territories? Persecution. He used persecution to scatter them. Here, here's, here's how we would say it. He used closed doors to move them. Let me... Call a timeout right now talking to the church and talk to every individual in the room who's staring at a closed door. If you're looking at a closed door in your life, that no is connected to a greater yes. Yeah, yeah, who am I preaching to? You got a no looking at you? That's connected to a greater yes. 
There's a God on the other side of that obstacle who's already working all things together for his good and his glory. And you think a shut door is going to scare God away from what he's doing? My God, if he can open a door for an entire church full of people, he can open a door for you. See, this is easy preaching and hard living. And we fought tooth and nail. And we started in commerce. And then, you know, I hate to, I hate to keep the record on repeat and tell you the same story, but like it's just, it's just been battle after battle territorially. And I was like, all right, I know God put us in commerce. I know God put us in commerce. And here's what's crazy. Like the harder we try to stay in commerce, the harder it was to stay in commerce. And then when, when we lost our location and we ended up coming up here and I'm like, well, I always thought we were going to be up here anyway, but I couldn't let go of what God had started in commerce because I felt so strongly we're supposed to be there. But I also felt like we're supposed to be here too. And I, Lord, you got to do something. And then y'all have heard the story. I, I've told you recently that the amazing, miraculous way the door opened up and we were able to buy that property, and we're in the process of remodeling it and hoping to get that location opened up. The whole time that's been happening, we've been blessed to rent here for a dollar a month and make this our, our temporary stay. And, and it's been, and listen to me, I want you to hear this too. It's been my objective, the staff's objective, the entire corporate team's objective. We've been trying to solidify this as long-term as possible. We've went to the table before with negotiations to try to buy it, and we've tried to extend the lease, and uh, we recently started that conversation up again. How, how can we stay here longer? Because our lease ends in May. And so originally when we came here, it was a two-year thing, and we've been working diligently to try to extend that. This past week, I met with the owner, and he said that we had until May to get out of here. Okay? Now, before, before you have an instantaneous reaction, here's what I want you to know. The good news is he's been wrestling with God on another ministry endeavor that's going to come right here. And our understanding is it's actually going to be a school of ministry. Now, here's what I want you to, oh, here's what I want you to hear. Two things from me. One, I've already been here before. I've already been here. I never thought I'd hear it once, much less twice. I've already been here before. I've already heard, hey, you got 60 days to get out. Here's the blessing. We got 90. <laughs> That's 30 more than we had the first time we had to leave somewhere. Half full, right? Half full. And I've already been here. And, and listen, had, had, I, had we already not been through something like this, there would be panic, there'd be frustration, there'd be confusion, there'd be worry, there'd be anxiety. But I'm going to tell you something. Every time I look over my shoulder, I've seen God deliver over and over. I've seen God provide time and time again. I think the psalmist had it right when he said, I have never seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging bread. I got a Bible that tells me my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches in glory. I got a Bible that tells me God is able to do exceeding abundantly above all you can ask or even think. So, so, number one, I've been here before. 
I've been here before. Number two, a lot of y'all have been here before, and a lot of y'all haven't. And everybody, look, look, we didn't, we weren't up here two years ago. And ever since we got here, God has been blessing. People are being saved. People are being revived. Some of you just started coming in the last three months and you've already found a church home. Some of you have been coming the last year. Some of you have been coming just a few weeks. Some of you were here last Sunday for the first time and you're back again for the second time and God's just filling your cup up when you're here and now the preacher's looking at you wide-eyed and bushy-tailed and saying, hey, we got till May and sayonara. <laughs> Let me say what I said at the beginning. The church ain't property, it's people. What are we going to do? How are we going to do it? I, I don't know. And I, I, I did myself a favor a long time ago, and I chalked it up that God's will is none of my business. And when God, and, and, and I, uh, you remember when we was in Memphis? Yeah, that's it right there. There it is. Get on out of here. Go on down the road. It's our territory. It's our territory. You done lost at the cross, and you know it. And you just mad. You mad. You jealous. You frustrated. Snakes only bite when they're threatened. You sorry, forked tongue, slew foot, wannabe. You ain't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Watch it. Stay spiritual. Don't get carnal. <laughs> Me and Ashley were in Memphis. We were in Memphis on a little vacation. Now, I'm going to tell you something. Me and this lady right here, when we, when we go on vacation, we, we really want to rest and unplug and just relax. And it never fails. Every time we go to get away, there's always some major thing that happens with the church. And we were in Memphis. We were doing a food tour. Boy, that's, that's the closest to being filled with the Spirit I can get in, in the flesh. It's a food tour. We were doing a food tour in Memphis on Memorial Day weekend. And we were, yeah, boy, howdy. You better believe it, Stephen Dowell. Listen, everybody in our group, I'm like, this is a food tour, not a pub crawl, you bunch of heathen. We were the only ones sober. They all drunk, acting crazy, making me and Ashley just getting on my nerves. Because you know how it is. You know how it is. Ain't nothing more aggravating than somebody drunk having their own little good time and you over there sober. More sober than a nun. And they, and they over there acting like that. Man, it's, it ain't just inviting. It's frustrating. And we were dealing with some stuff about the property. And we got a call that shook us to the core in that, while we was on that food door about our property and about how we were going to have to leave. And everything we were about to do was fall. I can't remember even which one it was. I said there were several things. And I mean, it was, just, it was just so depleting. I couldn't believe it was happening to us. I'm like, what are we going to do now? I can't even enjoy myself. Now I really want to punch this guy. Like, this is, this is horrible. <laughs> 
And I, I was sitting, we were sitting at, um, oh, what was the name of that place? That fried chicken joint. The line was out the door. It was so popular. What was that? Remember what it was called? Not, not Hattie B's. That's an Atlanta joint. It's something. Yeah. Yeah. So we're sitting in line. And listen, I'm just defeated. I'm just, I'm just so mad. I'm so confused. Our hearts were so heavy. We couldn't even enjoy ourselves. We put our whole life into serving God at this church. And um, there was this old black man and this old black lady that was in line with us. And we're waiting a long time. And we got to talking and talking. And, I, you know, I can, I can always remember what my job is. It's always to win people and love them no matter what kind of mood I'm in. And I'll, win, I'll try to win somebody like that. But I was having a hard time being Pastor Derek in Memphis, Tennessee. And um, we just struck up a conversation. There was nowhere to sit in this restaurant. And so we, we, we actually sat crammed into a booth with this couple. And we're trying the best we can during the conversation. And, and he, we got to talking about the situation and God's will and not knowing what God's will was going to be and not knowing. And he said, <laughs> he said, son, let me tell you something. <laughs> like John Witherspoon on Friday. He said, let me tell you something. It's God's business, right? God's will is God's business, right? I said, yes, sir. He said, look at me, son. God handled his business. Look at me, son. God, God will handle his business. He's food. Me and her sitting there. What are we going to do, preacher? What are we going to do? Oh, no, it's God's business. And he handles his business. He handles his business. Here's the deal. Here's the deal. If God put us here, if new grace is supposed to exist here, there is no door shut. Listen to me. There is no door shut where God hasn't already got another open one. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button on your favorite podcatcher. New episodes are posted each week on Tuesday.